How's everyone this morning? Good this morning? All right. Well, we all sitting in here this morning, we all have a name, don't we? Our parents gave us a name. And that name is special to us. You know, if you've ever walked through a gift store, you know how they have those like keychains that have the names printed on them? What do we naturally do? We go look and see if we, there's one there with our name, don't we? You know, I, um, my name has some significance, and maybe some of you have you know, significance. Maybe you're such and such the third, or maybe you have your mom's grandmother's name or whatever. I was born the same day my, my granddad died a year later. Um, he died of a massive heart attack at the age of 51. And so I was born on the day he died a year later, so my, my dad named me after him. I got his full name, Robert Devon Hodges. There you go, you know my middle name now. Um, and it has some significance. Well, I'll give you even further. I am the third person in line to have Devon because my great-grandmother thought that the doctor was cute, and so she named her son with the middle name of Devon because that was the doctor's name. So it's gone down through now four generations because poor Jack has the, the middle name Devon as well. So uh, that's a funny story there. But our names are special to us. And we've started this series, Name Above All Names. And we've walked through and looked at this, this um, passage here in Exodus chapter 34 where God reveals himself to us. Um, you know, this is a, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible by other Bible writers. And we're going to read it here today. This is Moses up on the mountaintop. The nation of Israel has left their captivity in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and God is giving him the Ten Commandments, and he gives, this is the verse, so that's kind of the setting of where we are. Moses asked to see God. And God tells him, no, you cannot see me because no one can see me and live, but I'll let you see a portion. I'll let you see my backside as I pass through. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and hide you with my hand. So this is kind of the setup to this verse. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. In previous weeks, we've looked at um, different sections of this verse, and if you would like to catch up with us, you can go listen to that on our podcast. And so each week we've looked at a different characteristic associated with God's name. Today, we're going to actually look at God's name, the name Yahweh. And it's signified in our English Bibles by the, the word LORD in all caps. So anytime you see that, that is God's name, Yahweh. It is a very unusual name, and it reveals so much about how we understand and relate to God. The Hebrew people, the Israelites, that name was so holy to them that they would not even speak it. They would not even allow that word to come out of their mouth, the name Yahweh. They came up with other names to represent God, because Yahweh was so, so 
special to them. They wanted to make sure that they did not misuse that name or take that name or speak that name in a way that would not bring glory to God. So God first revealed this name to Moses, not in this passage here in Exodus chapter 34, but earlier in Moses' life in Exodus chapter 3, which we'll look at in just a few moments. And it kind of gives us the, the story. It shows you the ground rules for knowing God. And it shows us what happens when you come to know God. Exodus chapter 3, it opens up with Moses really as a pretty defeated man. At this point in his life, he started his life with a lot of confidence. If you remember, Moses, when he was born, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he was adopted into the royal family of the most powerful, richest family on the face of the earth at that time. So he was a prince. He received all of the education that a prince would receive. But he was still aware of his Jewish heritage because his mother was kind of like his nurse or his nanny that raised him for the princess. So she taught him the Jewish tradition, the Jewish ways, all of his heritage. He knew about all of this. He knew about the promised land that God had given to the Jewish people. And one day he walked out and he saw the, Jew, the Egyptian taskmasters just whipping the Jewish people in slavery. And he went and, and in anger murdered that slave master. So he went from being the top of the mountain to having Pharaoh hating him. The Jewish people rejected him because they looked at him as not being a part of them because they looked at him as more of an Egyptian than a Jew. Pharaoh's angry at him. He ended up killing a man, and he's running for his life. Imagine that day at the office. That's a bad day at work, isn't it? Everybody hates you. Your boss wants to fire you, and on your way out in the parking lot, you murder someone. That's a bad, that's a bad day. Needless to say, it left Moses, where we find him in Exodus chapter 3 in our passage, it leaves him feeling pretty defeated. And so for 40 years, imagine that, for 40 years, some of us in here aren't even 40 years old yet, for 40 years he's in, wandering around the, the wilderness, nursing that failure. Imagine how much of a failure he felt like, the insecurities that he had at this point in his life, to feel like that you are not up to a particular challenge. You know, insecurity is a voice inside of you that whispers, I am not, and fill in the blank, enough. Fill in the blank with whatever you want. I am not good looking enough, athletic enough, smart enough, creative enough, spiritual enough. We all deal with these insecurity in the age of TikTok and Instagram, and these feelings are heightened because no matter what you do, you can always find someone that does it better. You always can. Here's a statement that we return to over and over throughout this series, and I, I'm going to put it up here again today just because it speaks to what we're talking about through this series. It's from the great writer A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God 
is the most important thing about us. The most determining fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What was Moses thinking about God when we get to Exodus chapter 3? The failure that he's been questioning God. God, why would you allow my life to go like this? Were you not setting me up to be the deliverer of the Jewish people? I've got the education. I've developed the leadership skills, all of these things. But yet, I've been on the backside of nowhere for 40 years. The best years of my life are gone. We pick up in Exodus chapter 3, Moses out with his flock. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horab, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. <laughs> How crazy and freaky would that be for a bush to start calling your name? Robert, Robert, <laughs> out in the middle of the wilderness. Man, that would be crazy. And he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the, land, of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to do good and broad land, a land of flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Let's stop right there. Go back to the, the previous one before we go to the next verse there, Calvin. Who am I? Think about Moses. Think about the thoughts that are going through his head as he's heard this. God is saying, I'm going to get my people out of Egypt. It's over a million people. And Pharaoh does not want to let them go. He knows that there's a bounty on his head that Pharaoh hates him. And Moses is probably like, wait, wait, what? God, we, we were talking about you delivering the people out of Egypt. We were, we were talking about you coming down to deliver the Egypt. So that sounded totally cool. I'm all on board with that. But then you switched 
God, and you started talking about me, which is not cool. Remember, God, I, you know, I failed 40 years ago. <laughs> Who am I? Let's keep reading. That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, but I will be with you. God told Moses, you're not doing it by yourself. I am with you. Notice how God deals with Moses' insecurities. He didn't reinforce Moses with positive thoughts or tell him that, oh Moses, you're just underestimating your talents. You're so much more talented than what you give yourself credit for. He didn't say, Moses, here's a mirror and I want you to look into this mirror and repeat after me. I am Moses, and I'm a bad, bad man. He didn't say that. He didn't say, now close your eyes and visualize yourself walking into Pharaoh. And I want you to experience taking Pharaoh down. No, God didn't, God didn't do any of that. What did he say? He said, I will be with you. Real confidence comes not from competence, not from our competence. Confidence comes from knowing that we have the assurance that God is with us. Let's keep reading. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to, to them? You have to think, every ancient God, God with a small g in that time, they all had a name. You had famous gods in the Bible like Molech. There are all kinds of gods. That's the one that the, um, the Philistines worshipped. He says, who do I tell them? What God is it that sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. The word I am is simply a verb that means to be. To be. He is, has no beginning or ending he did not come from anywhere. He is not going anywhere. I am is the same forever and ever. Nothing preceded him. Nothing created him. Nothing sustains him. He is eternal. He is unchanging. And he is forever the same. I am. Everything that has ever existed had its beginning in him. He was there before it all started. If you could go back to the beginning of however the universe started, he would be there. He is eternal. He is the source that gives life to everything else. He holds it all together. When you look up at the stars at night, 
You know, we here in Florida, we enjoy going out and looking at the rockets that get launched that we can see in the sky. Anybody see the rocket launch this past week? We enjoy looking up at that. We enjoy looking out and seeing the stars in the heavens. When God, we look at the heavens, we should, as believers in Christ, be gripped by the greatness of our God. Scientists estimate the universe to be 91 billion light years across. That's their best estimates. That means that if you traveled in the Millennium Falcon, Star Wars people, there you go, in the Millennium Falcon at the speed of light, it would take over a million of your lifetimes just to get to the edge of the universe. (laughs) Think about how vast and how great. That's just what we can comprehend. Great this universe is that our God holds together. He is. I am. He is big. He is bigger than big. He is all the words we use to say big. He is huge, gigantic, humongous, gigantuan. He is beyond all of those words that our language could even use to describe him. Let's go verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. The revelation of God's name as I am shows us really three vitally important things about your relationship with God. First thing, I am, it shows us how we encounter God as human beings. It shows us that many times it begins with an unanswered question like Moses had in the burning bush. When we turn aside to investigate that unanswered question, you find God saying, I won't necessarily resolve this mystery for you, but yet I want you to see that through this mystery, through this circumstance, that I am. For some, it is the mystery of the cosmos. We look at people like Thomas Edison said, when you see everything that happens in the world of science and the working of the universe, you cannot deny that there must be a captain on the bridge. You cannot deny it. For others, it occurs through the reading of the Bible and through the experiencing the reality of the Jesus of Nazareth. Peter Kreft, professor of theology at Boston College, said that when he was searching to know God in the Bible, it was like staring into a keyhole and seeing someone staring back at him. As you dig into God's word and you come to it with an open heart, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal the word of God to you. It's like someone staring back at you in the keyhole. You know, maybe for you it wasn't this dramatic. But Ecclesiastes says that he has put the longing for eternity in everyone's heart, in all of our hearts, which means he puts a restlessness and unanswered questions as a burning bush 
inside of our souls. We're constantly seeking. We're constantly looking. You know, the, the, the famous uh, phrase that says, our hearts will keep on searching until we find our rest in thee. We were never made for creation to bring us rest. If we keep looking at the things in creation to bring us rest, we'll continue with that restless heart until we find our rest in God. You can look upward and experience these questions. You can look inward and sense this longing. Those feelings are like the burning bush that Moses experienced. When you turn aside to the burning bush like Moses did, you will find the great I Am. The name I am shows us how we encounter God. It also, second, knowing God's name as I am, it gives us the ground rule for knowing God. I am means I am who I am, not who you define me to be. So much of the world today, they want to define God to fit in their little box. So much of the self-help psychology wants to define God differently than how God defines himself in Scripture. Only one person gets to define himself, or one being, and that is God. God tells us who he is. We have the theology from below, this philosophical speculation, where we can debate it. Whose ideas are better? That's what you see anytime you turn on. You know, a show that wants to talk about religion. Oh, it's my truth, their truth. Don't argue. How dare you, you contradict my truth? There's only one truth, and it's the absolute truth of the Scripture. That's where the theology of above, it comes down. It cannot be debated. It has to either be received or rejected. God in his revelation descended from above. He said, I am. His revelation must be received or rejected. He cannot be debated, edited, refashioned, or reshaped into what we want. He is. You either receive him for who he is or reject him. And then third, knowing God's name, I am, it transforms our identities. It transforms who we are. As I mentioned, Moses, he was really secure. Insecure, I mean. He was very, very insecure. Even later, if you read the story of Moses, he even tells God, I can't talk. I I stutter. I'm not a good communicator. How am I going to go before Pharaoh? He had personal disabilities. He had personal failures. He had failed already in Egypt. He had personal doubt. When Moses said, who am I? In verse 11, scholars say that we get an echo of the question that the Israelites threw back in Moses' face back in Exodus chapter 2 when they were questioning him. Are you really an Israelite? Who are you to think you can deliver us? Moses' repetition of the question shows that these doubts put on him by others have gone to his soul. Maybe you have faced criticism and faced hurtful situations that have really made you question who you are, maybe things that were said about you in your past. You know, interestingly, Moses' insecurities kept him from seeing how God had prepared him 
for this task. Remember I said he'd been out leading sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. He has led the sheep, the very wilderness. This is the very wilderness that Israel would need to escape from Egypt through. After being in this wilderness for, 30, for 40 years, he knows all of the watering holes. He knows how to lead an unruly herd. He knows all of the dangers. In the palace, he's seen how governments run. He's learned to write. Moses hadn't been able to see how God had been preparing him at every point, every step in his life. He had not been able to see that he had failed to believe that God the great I am was in every single thing, every single situation, shaping him for the job that he needed him to do. What if you looked at your life through the eyes of faith, that in every circumstance, the good that has happened in your life, the bad, that in everything, the exciting, the disappointing, the tragedy, there was an all-knowing, sovereign, loving God preparing you. God is using every circumstance in your life to mold you and to shape you into who he wants you to be. I challenge you, look back through your life, all of it, and see it through the eyes of faith. But more importantly, when Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? God says to Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. That's all that matters who I am. Moses said, I am not eloquent. I am not smart. I am not successful. God says, I didn't choose you because you were those things. I have enough of those things for both of us. God doesn't say, God doesn't want the guy who says, oh, I know that God will pick me because I'm so awesome. He wants people who are broken who feel insignificant, empty vessels who allow him to work through them, who know how to lean on him. First Corinthians says, not many mighty, not many eloquent, rich or powerful. He chose the weak and the despised because the glory in his work must go to him. God uses the weak and the despised so he alone can get the glory. Feeling inadequate is a prerequisite to being used by God. We see Moses saying, who am I? He felt inadequate. But God, I'm not very good. And God says, but I am. God, I'm not very skilled. And God says, I know, I am. God, I'm not sure, I'm not confident, I'm not a steady person. God says, I know, but I am. It's not about who you are, but who I am. You bring into this place all kinds of deficiencies, worries, feelings of inadequacies, insecurities. This morning, I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm telling you that God is 
is sufficient for everything in your life. I'm not trying to get you to see that you are not, but it doesn't matter because in his name, God is enough through Christ. You don't need to sweat anything because look who is calling you to this work. Look who is calling you to be this mom or this dad. You think, I cannot be a parent. I'm going to be a terrible parent. Look at who I am. And God says, I know that maybe right now you feel that way, but remember, I am, and I'm preparing you for this. You move into a new job at work, and you think, oh, I've never had experience working in this computer program. I'm in a new department. I don't know these people. Oh, I'm not that great a communicator. And God says, depend on me. Know that I am. In the Gospel of John, we see Jesus repeatedly taking the name I Am and declaring it to our weaknesses. The name I Am, it dominates the Gospel of John. John says, to those who feel in darkness, he says, I am the light. To those who thirst, Jesus says, I am the living water. To those who feel lost, he says, I am the way. To those confused, he said, I am the truth. To those under the curse of death, he says, I am the life. To those who feel insignificant, he said, I am the good shepherd. To those who need a fresh start, he says, I am the door. To those crushed by guilt, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. To the unrighteous, he says, I am your righteous covering. To the powerless, he says, I will be your defense. To the empty, he says, I will be your fullness. To the dead, he says, I will be your resurrection. And to the defeated, he says, I will be your hope. Whatever you're not, whatever you need, Whatever you did not get from your parents or from your teachers or from your boss, whatever you are not getting from somewhere else, God says, don't worry. You didn't need it anyways. Because I am. I am. When the pharaohs in our lives say to us, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, you insignificant little person? We can say, I don't think I'm anything, but I know the great I am. And when the haters in your own heart whisper to you those thoughts of self-doubt that say, you are not, and you fill in whatever insecurity you may have, we shout back, you're right, but he is, and now I am in him my challenge to you this morning is name your insecurity write it out whatever that might be today and say in christ i am and fill in the blank in christ i am 
whatever it is, sufficient. I am fully supplied. I am more than a conqueror. I am undefeatable through Christ because I know I am. The gospel is not that you are awesome and because of your awesomeness, he chose you. It is that you were messed up and he loved you anyways and he saved you. When you were unrighteous, he gave you righteousness. And Paul says that just as he did that, so he will give you the power when you are powerless. And when you falter, he will hold faithful, not on how I hold on to him, but how he holds on to me. And so as we go through this series, I want you to lay hold to the name of the glorious God, who has united himself to you. Think about how amazing that is. That our God has united himself to us in Christ. Let's pray. God, as we stand here amazed, We stand here humbled thinking about all of our insecurities, all of the things that we're not, maybe all of our failures. We know, number one, that you are God that's shaping us and molding us and using every experience in life to make us who you want us to be. And God... We thank you for being the great I am. We thank you for allowing us to worship you. That you chose us to worship you. What a humbling thought that is. God, may we leave here today with whatever insecurity that we brought in this place knowing that we're not enough and we never will be. But you are because you're the great I am. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.